Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, you can always grab it later uh, at myfaithradio.com. Or if you go ahead and subscribe to Mornings with Carmen, wherever you get your podcast, then, you know, it'll auto-populate, especially if you, like, set it for that. I don't know. You, like, set it to download automatically, and then there it is. Um, I do that with a handful of podcasts that I love and enjoy. And so if you love and enjoy this one, appreciate if you would subscribe uh, to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast. So I think it was yesterday. It might have been, it had to be yesterday because it couldn't have been last week because I was off because Paul Perot was hosting because such a wonderful, generous spirit to allow me to go take a week of vacation. So it must have been yesterday when I made reference to um, generational sin or generational uh, blessings. So like the blessings that come generationally for people of faith, right? The legacy of faith, the heritage of faith, the legacy of faith. And then uh, to the contrary, the generational nature of sin and the terrible consequences that that has generationally. And um, a number of folks ask a question about that. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to I'm going to lift up a couple of verses of scripture, and then I'm going to point to a contemporary headline, something happening right now in the culture um, for us to be able to sort of see this in real time. So Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, or Deuteronomy uh, 5, 8 to 10. Those, they're actually um, passages that repeat one another. Okay, so the Lord visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Or in Leviticus 26, 39, because of their iniquity and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. Now, there are, to be fair, other passages of Scripture that specifically say, hey, actually, the son is not going to suffer for the iniquity of his father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. Um, that would be Ezekiel 18.20 or Jeremiah 31.30. Um, I mean, other places where it clearly um, sin is regarded as personal um, and, and, and sort of confined to the individual. But many other places in Scripture, we get this understanding that the iniquity of the fathers, this, this generational nature of sin. And um, let me just say that we know that, right, experientially. We know that about addiction. We know that about abuse. Um, we we know that there are there are patterns of behavior, particularly negative ones, that are repeated generationally in families to the detriment, um, to the detriment of multiple generations. And we want to break that cycle. We want to be people who. Um, live lives of redemption and then redeemed relationships and um, and seek the blessing generation to generation of those who follow us. 
Um, so to point to a contemporary headline where I think we see this playing out in real time, I lift up to you the Alec Murdaugh trial in South Carolina. If you have not been following this particular case, um, let me just say that the defense rested its case yesterday. But when we talk about um, something that I find terribly disturbing, um, part of the backstory in all of this is that everybody involved in this little community in Hampton, South Carolina, everybody involved in this uh, in Colleton County, South Carolina, that's featured in this entire saga, everybody goes to church. Every, everybody talks about going to church. That I'm, st- it's jaw dropping to me that there could be so many bodies, so many deaths associated with this one family um, over such a long period of time, and they have would have gotten away with so much. Until the point in time where this father is now on trial for murdering his wife and his son. Um, There's a lot going on here, but it is generational. That is the point I want to make. This is generational sin. And uh, the iniquity of the fathers upon the children here and the children's children to actually the third and fourth generation in this particular story couldn't be more clear. It couldn't be more clear. And so, um, you know, without saying that, uh, you know, I wasn't on the jury and I don't know what the jury is going to decide in terms of the guilt or innocence of Alec Murdaugh in relationship to the murder of his wife and his son. But let me just say this. He is a man under conviction now for all of the other crimes that he confessed to during his trial, uh, during the murder trial. Um, The iniquities here run thick. And if you want a contemporary example of what it looks like for generational sin to run rampant, even among those who proclaim to be Christians and go to church, this is a good one to look at, a good uh, good one to follow. And the links will be in the show notes today. Dr. Brett Nix is going to join us next from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. I'm going to talk with him um, about something that may be coming out of the revival in Asbury that well, is not so welcome. Is there a revival of measles? Mm, That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years And the slow parade of fears without crying Dr. Brett Nix is back. You can find him at brettnixmd.com. He represents the Christian Medical and Dental Association, and you can find them at cmda.org. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Carmen. Welcome back. I hope you had a wonderful vacation. Thank you. I did. The skiing was great. Um, And I was in a, I was with people I love in a place that I love doing something they love. (laughs) That sounds like a win on all sides. Yes, doing something they love. I I go, yeah. but they love, but they love it. Um, all right, uh, talk with us about the potential revival of measles. What um what what's the story here? Yeah, I tell you, we go from one outbreak to another. You know, for those who've been watching uh, in the news and or maybe listening on the radio, uh, most recent case in Kentucky 
of measles outbreak uh, was linked to the two week long revival at Asbury University. You know, again, you got to recognize this was following an outbreak in central Ohio where more than 85 cases uh, were identified. And of those, 80 were not vaccinated and it caused about 36 hospitalizations. But this is a related then following an unrelated uh, cluster of cases to about 22 in Minnesota this year. So, you know, a, a couple of things people really need to recognize. Number one, measles is a highly contagious respiratory virus. It's been around for a long time. It's spread through the air and it really can be life threatening for infants and children. Um, and we only see these very small number of outbreaks in the U.S. because we've had such a great history of vaccination. Um, so the point about the matter related to the revival is if you are at the revival on February 18th, that is the day that the person who has been identified with measles was present there. Uh, you may have been exposed. And so if you are someone who is unvaccinated, keep in mind there's a chance if you start developing fever, cough, uh, conjunctivitis, so irritation about your eyes and a runny nose, and then you develop a rash, you probably have measles and you are highly contagious. So keep that in mind. And you know, people say, well, why are we having a measles outbreak now? We have to think about the last couple of years. What do we know about COVID? It disrupted many things and immunizations was one of them. And in the world, about 40 million immunizations were missed in the year 2021 because of COVID. Uh, and so because measles transmits so effectively, unless we have vaccination rates in that 90 to 95th percentile, uh, it can erupt in these populations of unvaccinated people. So if you are in that space, February 18th, and you're having symptoms, make sure you quarantine yourself, number one. Number two, call your doctor. Don't go into their offices or emergency department because you can actually spread in that small period of time uh, while you're there. So call in advance, uh, let them know that you have a concern, uh, and they'll be able to address it appropriately. This probably is going to lead to a renewed conversation about vaccines and immunizations um, of all kinds. And so maybe we'll circle back around to that in the future. But I want to talk um, as well with you about something we've been reading in the news. There is a booming market for um, a drug that was not designed for weight loss, but apparently people are finding effective um, for weight loss. So when we come back from a very brief break, can we talk about Ozempic? Am I pronouncing it right? Absolutely. You got it. All right. That's that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve. That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. Dr. Brett Nix is here. We're going to talk about Ozempic. It is a heavily advertised diabetes drug that works by mimicking a naturally occurring hormone in the body to manage hunger and slow the emptying of the stomach. And um, lots of people, including people who are already thin, are using it to become thinner um, instead of uh, the use for which it was designed. So, Brett, talk with us about Ozempic and maybe... um, 
part of what we should do is talk about the side effects or um, why people might not want to jab themselves every week with a drug designed to treat something that they don't have. Yeah, boy, I tell you, you know, in healthcare, drug supply shortages, they're not uncommon. Uh, and this most recent one with Ozempic, uh, which, again, it's a medication, like you said, with patients for, that have diabetes. And the medication is known as uh, semaglutide. And it's become a bit of a nightmare in the sense that it works great for people with diabetes. Why? Because as you state, you're, you're giving yourself a shot. It's not something you have to take on a routine basis on a daily composite of things. The, the challenge, however, is that for those who need it because of their diabetes, their diabetes has been settled. They've gotten used to the medication. Um, the company that produces it also recognized that in the process by which it works for diabetes, when taken at a higher dose, was amazing for weight loss. And so Wagovi is the name of the medication that's the higher dose. Ozempic is what most people know. And the company that produces it cannot make enough of it. And so because of its weight loss prescription, people that are using Ozempic uh, for that process are, are actually using the Ozempic twice as much to meet the dose of the Wagovi. All that to be said, what happens now is you have an international challenge. You can't produce enough. Those who have diabetes that are used to it have to now switch to other medications or not use it appropriately, which puts them at risk from a healthcare perspective. You know, recognize without medications, the people that have diabetes and this risk associated with blood sugar spikes, it can lead to serious health problems. Heart disease, kidney disease, hearing loss, stroke are the long-term consequences. And so for those that are using it from a weight loss perspective, please recognize if you're using it off-label use, if you're trying to get it and obtain it for a different purpose, recognize that those who need it for diabetes have to be the priority in this space. Um, yeah, I just think that taking drugs for something they're not designed for is never a good idea. And actually taking something to do something that you could accomplish through other means, um, again, just maybe I'll just direct people back to the conversation, um, that we had here yesterday. If you're looking for resources on, uh, uh, you know, getting to a place where food is not controlling you, um, then, Check out the conversation that we had yesterday with Kim Dolan Leto here about Fit God's Way. Um, Brett, talk with us about um, uh, some other things that are going on in the healthcare world. Um, Maybe um, vaping, like we talked about vaping a number of years ago. I feel like that is not a topic that we talk a lot about anymore, Um, but it causes like actual DNA damage. This is crazy. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, while many people have adopted vaping as perhaps a safer alternative to nicotine as it's been promoted over time and uh, using this instead of cigarettes, a new study just came out of the UK that looked at cellular changes. So the actual cells in your mouth related to vaping. And what they identified was that the DNA, so they took swabs of the mouth, the DNA that they looked at was 2.6 times greater to identify damage than those in smokers. Now, yes, there was still damage related to smoking. We talk about that for oral health. We talk about cancer. We talk about these different things that can happen. And we thought to ourselves, hey, it's the impurities in the cigarette and all the other composites that are in the nicotine uh, because of the tobacco that is perhaps the reason for this. What we're realizing, again, in a very early study, that no, actually, it is the process by which we're going through and perhaps the nicotine and now the other chemicals that are in the vaping that is actually going to lead uh, to greater DNA damage in the mouth. And then again, the risk of that would be higher risks for cancer, greater than actually cigarettes themselves. You know, unusually, they actually said when they broke it down, 
the sweet flavored vapes, those um, that had uh, different fr- uh, fruit flavors, mint flavors, actually had the highest rate of DNA damage, some almost 10 times greater than a standard filtered cigarette. Uh, and why is this important? Because in the U.S. alone, what we know to be true is about 10% of American teens uh, are vaping right now and probably higher mm. than that. But that's that's the reported amount. So, you know, something we have to be aware of. And you made it mentioned before, you know, vaping is, is just like a pill. I think in our country, we have a pill problem. We look for things to fill a void uh, that uh, sometimes we are not willing to sense ourselves. And obviously, from a faith perspective, we know where that void is in most circumstances. And instead of actually seeking a process, instead of finding healing, instead of identifying something that we should be doing for ourselves that benefits our body, we look for a substance, we look for a pill to solve the problem. Um, Brad, I want to do a good news piece here with you. Um, It's actually going to be good for me to do good for others. Talk with us about random acts of kindness and um, the good it does for the body and the soul. You know, there's so much truth to this. So for those who uh, practiced the Random Acts of Kindness Day, that was February 17th, so a week ago Friday. If you celebrated this, keep in mind you perhaps should celebrate it every day, if not every week for that matter. <laughs> because if you do, it's not just better for someone else, it's better for you. Uh, the data related to this is amazing. Spreading kindness not only helps others feel better about themselves, but it can boost your immune system, your happiness, and it can transform your brain. So what do the studies show? The studies show that putting others, the well-being of others before your own, uh, without any expectation or return, we call that altruism, right? Uh, it stimulates the reward centers in the brain, just like we do when we're seeking different things, when people are, are, are addicted to different things, whether it be your phone or something else along those lines. The dopamine response is amazing, but not just that. It decreases stress. It decreases blood pressure because of the decrease of stress. It also decreases episodes of depression. So if somebody has struggled and continues to struggle with depression, here is a way of doing this, which is putting others first in that. But for those who have chronic pain, it also decreases the heightened pain sensitivities that you have in your pain fiber and decreases chronic pain. Overall, what does it do? It increases overall happiness. It increases your cognitive function as well. And they show this in those that are over the age of 50 onward that do random acts of kindness. Simple things, right? Smile and say hello to somebody. Stop for a moment. Open the door. When you walk through a crowd, walk slowly. Connect with people's eyes. Say hello. Uh, give a genuine compliment to those that are around you. Write a thank you note. Not just a quick emoji, not just a quick text. Take a moment. Write a note for someone, recognizing them for what they do or whatever else that you may, you may do. You'll hear of amazing things, people going through you know, Starbucks, a drive through and paying for the person behind them. Uh, somebody going to a grocery store, recognizing a family in need and paying for their groceries. There's so many things that you can do that cost nothing. And there are other things that if you are gifted and the ability to share in that manner, you can do so financially as well. Random acts of kindness should not be relegated to one day a year. Mm. All right. A couple of questions on the text line that have come in that I feel like uh, you and I should clean up quickly. Um, The answer to uh, Jason's question, hey, when you guys are talking about vaccinations, vaccinations against what? Measles or COVID? Yeah, we are talking about the need to be vaccinated against measles in this case. Um, That is the conversation related to Asbury and um, and the missed immunizations during 2020. Those those are the kinds of conversations we're talking about. And then um, there was a question from another listener who said, how are people getting the Ozimbic? I mean, they're getting it by going into doctors who are prescribing it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, there's not, there is, there is uh, two situations. You can get it from a physician 
there are some who are getting it and then subsequently selling it on a, a secondary market. So it is fascinating, but it is actually caused not just that, but a price increase as well. And so you'll see it on two fronts. On your end of the vaccination side, yes, MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella. It's a two-vaccine cycle, typically given when you are young and then again when you are an adolescent. Um, and that is 97% effective against measles. And what most people ask is, no, it is not linked to autism. No studies to support that, never been shown. Uh, and so recognize uh, that if you are not sure, uh, you should check with your doctor to make sure that you and or your children have been appropriately vaccinated. All right. And then, um, yes, to, in answer to the question uh, to the person texting in, are doctors prescribing it for weight loss? Yes, they are. Um, and the follow up um, to that from a hospice nurse who has texted in, hey, doctors do sometimes identify people who need a med um, for an off-label reason, like a metabolic issue, and off-label use is okay when done appropriately. Yeah, no question about that. I think our challenge is, um, if you look at what's going on specifically in New York City among the uh, the art and fashion community, Ozimbic is being used in ways that are clearly not only off-label, but inappropriate. And it's creating a shortage of the drug for those um, for whom it was designed, and those are people who suffer with diabetes. So that's just the concern that we're raising today. Again, if you are looking to sort of reset your relationship with food and fitness, um, I'm going to come into you the conversation we had yesterday with Kim Dolan Leto, uh, Fit God's Way. Um, you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com or grab it on the podcast. Brett, as always, thank you so much. Absolutely, Carmen. Good topics for the day, and I tell you, lots for people to think about. Absolutely. You can find uh, Dr. Brett Nix at brettnixmd.com or at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. Hey, John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith. My guest is not John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith, but I will tell you that when uh, I say uh, Felicia Masonheimer, my brain, because I suppose it's somewhat defective, sings the uh, John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith song. So uh, my guest is uh, Felicia Masonheimer. She's the author of Every Woman, a Theologian. And so that gives us pause. Are you a theologian? I will declare today that, yes, you are. You are a theologian. You are someone who studies the nature of God. You study the nature of religion and religious beliefs. You um, you have an active mind that is engaged in the things of the faith. And so what Felicia wants to do is equip and empower each and every one of us, um, not only to know what we believe, but to live it confidently and communicate it graciously. So next up, Felicia Masonheimer, not John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith, um, with every woman a theologian. Know what you believe, live it confidently, communicate it graciously. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Felicia Masonheimer is joining us. She's the author of Every Woman a Theologian. Know what you believe, live it confidently, communicate it graciously. Felicia, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a joy to have you join us. Let's start with um, maybe the problem or the challenge that you're seeking to address in this book. Um, 
maybe not everyone thinks they are a theologian. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people hear the word theologian and they immediately think, that's not me, that's a scholar or someone who likes to read big stacks of leather books. (laughs) But if theology is the study of the nature of God and the study of his heart becoming like him, that means that every Christian actually is a theologian or should be a theologian. And so that's a lifelong journey of just knowing more about God and growing deeper in our relationship with him. Okay, you're kind of a regular person. Like I have been to your website and you are like a cute regular person. Can you talk about this invitation for every single one of us, regardless of our age or stage in life, um, invite us to engage the not only the heart of our faith, but the mind, because this is really an engagement of the mind. Yes, it is such an engagement of the mind. And I think it's interesting that Jesus himself said that we are to love the Lord our God with our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strengths, which is your emotions, your spirit, your thought life, and your effort. So all of that is is encompassed in loving God. But in today's Western culture, I think there's often a tendency to focus only on the emotions or the effort and to not focus on loving the Lord our God with our minds. But we can't truly trust God if we don't know Him, right? We don't trust people we don't know, typically. And we need to know Him well in order to trust Him, which means we have to engage our minds with the Word of God, and that in turn leads to a greater connection to Him, a deeper emotional relationship with Him. So one of the things, Felicia, that I love about um, about this book, and again, the book is Every Woman a Theologian, Know What You Believe, Live It Confidently, Communicate It Graciously. We are giving away copies today. You can text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. One of the things I love, Felicia, is um, how, not only how rock solid it is theologically, but how um, conversational it is, how approachable it is. Um, And I'm reminded here that, like, the questions that we are often asked that need to be answered, like, as a theologian, like, happen at bedtime. Like, right, you're tucking your kid in, you're tucking your grandkid in, and they ask you a question that's deeply theological, or sometimes from the backseat of the car, right? There's this Mm -hmm. deeply theological question, and I feel like you're equipping us to answer the deeply theological questions that we are asked by others, and we can do so confidently and beautifully. So so just talk about the, uh, the approach of the book. I think you summarized my intent, (laughs) so I'm so glad that's how you feel about it. My goal is really evangelism, to equip Christians to share their faith, because this was the last thing that Christ commanded us to do before He left to be with the Father, and He gave us the Holy Spirit to help us do it. We're all commanded to share our faith. begins, of course, in the home and with our families and then anyone else that we're around. But a lot of people don't share their faith, and usually it's because they don't feel confident in explaining what they believe, or maybe they don't even know what they believe. They just are in the church, and they love God, but they couldn't explain the gospel or why we need Jesus if they were sitting down with someone. And that's a a problem that we need to fix. And so it really points back to 
understanding what the Bible teaches about Jesus, about God's nature, about why there's suffering in the world, about why we need a Savior in the first place, what happened on the cross. Those are all theological questions, but they're also questions that kids are asking, that our friends and coworkers are asking. And so it's in our best interest to learn the answers the Bible gives to these questions for ourselves, but also for the people that we're called to share Jesus with. All right, if you're th- if you're saying to yourself, "Wow, okay, I have um always wanted to go to seminary and take a course in um in like orthodox theology." Uh here this is it. This is your course in theology um offered today. Uh it's every woman a theologian. And so you cover everything in here. I mean, you cover not only the doctrine of God, but uh, the doctrines of creation and humanity and sin, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the last things. Um, And then I want to actually jump to the end of the book, and then we'll walk around a little bit in the middle. Um, Talk with us about um, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Because it's not only about knowing the right things, it is also about doing right things. Right. So it's one thing to have the biblical knowledge, right? We all know people who had really great biblical knowledge, and they were just really mean. (laughs) Right. And that's an example of someone who knows a lot about the Bible, but it's not actually translating to heart transformation. They're not actually walking by the Holy Spirit and His influence. And that's obviously not God's goal. A truly biblical theology will always include both your head and your heart information and intimacy. It's not going to be just one or the other. And so for us, orthodoxy is sound teaching. That's what it means, biblical teaching, something that lines up with what Jesus taught and what the whole Bible says. And then there's orthopraxy, which is right living or right practice, walking it out. And you can't have one without the other. If somebody is not living rightly, with God and with other people, then there is a problem with their orthodoxy. There is a problem with their biblical knowledge because it never transformed how they lived. And so it has to be both. We can't live our lives like, well, I can just love God and love other people without knowing the Bible. You can't do that because you need to be able to explain how there's evil in the world and you need to be able to witness to people. But you also can't know the Bible and live a life that is unrighteous and unkind towards other people. So it has to be both together. Yeah, if you're going to be an authentic, integrated disciple. I mean, I think that is um, absolutely the honest truth. Um, Felicia Masonheimer is uh, with us today. Uh, You can get uh, her contact information um, and Oh, all kinds of great stuff at her website, FeliciaMasonheimer.com. If you're wondering how to spell that, it's going to be in the show notes today. Um, yes, we're giving away copies of Every Woman, a Theologian. Uh, you can text the word book to 
eight four. If you're saying to yourself, I, I really have always wanted this. I really have always wanted help in considering like cosmology and Christology, soteriology. I didn't even know how to spell that. Um, pneumatology. You're saying, I never even heard that word before. What is that? Well, that's a theology of the Holy Spirit. Like, who is that? Ecclesiology. It's a theology of the church and eschatology. Um, you know, the the study of the end times and the last things. If you've always wanted to unpack these these theological ideas and you've wanted to know where how to stand firm in your faith and then to speak it clearly that's the journey that you get to go on with felicia in this book and she's a a very trustworthy guide felicia masonheimer and i are going to continue our conversation here in just a moment you're listening to mornings with carmen thanks for listening to the podcast of mornings with carmen as you know this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the faith radio network there's a lot going on at faith radio Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Felicia Masonheimer, you can find her at FeliciaMasonheimer.com. I will drop that in the show notes today. We're talking about her book, Every Woman a Theologian. Know what you believe, live it confidently, communicate it graciously. Yes, we're giving away copies. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Um, Felicia, take us into um, uh, into the book, and let's start where like you have to establish the beginning of the conversation, because I can't move into a conversation about um, the doctrine of the church, let's say, unless I know uh, uh, what God has to say about that. And the only place I can go to learn what God has to say about anything is the Bible. So talk with us about where you open this, which I love. I just love the language here. Bibliography. Like you start with a bibliography and the bibliography is the Bible. Talk with us about the doctrine of scripture. Yes. So the Bible is our foundation for everything, right? As Christians, it's what tells us who Jesus is is and what he did and what he taught. And then, of course, it tells us the whole story of Israel, which is the, you know, the land and the people that Jesus comes out of. He's the Messiah for the Jews and then, of course, for all the rest of the world. And so for us to understand anything about Christianity, we have to look at it in context of the whole Bible, not just the parts and pieces that we like or we find easy to understand. And so the whole Bible together provides us this beautiful foundation and witnesses to God's consistent movements over thousands of years. I think sometimes people will say, well, how can I trust the Bible? Because it's, you know, written by so many different people and over so much time. That's actually one of the very reasons we can trust it. It wasn't given in isolation to one person. It wasn't, you know, dropped down out of the sky in, in a dream, this magical book all one you know, all together. It was witnessed by many people incrementally over time, and the message remained consistent. And that's why we can trust it to then have authority to tell us how to live and how to see God. That's so good. And then we move into a conversation about the doctrine of God. 
Um, and then I want us to unpack a little bit because you've referred to it a couple of times already in our conversation. In the chapter on cosmology, we have this, you know, beautiful broken world. Um, unpack for us um, the part of this that leads us to the conversation um, about the presence and problem of evil. So sin, right? How do we reckon with the entrance of sin into the world? And that's a part of our discussion of cosmology, the theology of the universe, and then anthropology, the theology of humanity, and homardiology, which is the theology of sin. Those three are all very connected in Genesis 1 through 3. And in Genesis 3 is where we see God gives his people a choice to remain in relationship with him by trusting him and therefore obeying him, or destroying that relationship through distrust and disobedience, and we obviously know which one they chose. That choice affects all of the world and all of humanity's sense. And so that moment is when God mobilizes his rescue plan in Genesis 3 to send a Savior to redeem humanity and create something completely new to give them the opportunity to dwell with him. And so the whole of the Bible is God making a way for people to dwell with him in peace. And all of the theologies, all of the things we see in Scripture are God moving towards that end, God wanting to dwell with his people and walk with them. And so it's just amazing to see, you know, yes, sin enters the world, it breaks, it causes evil to enter the world, and yet God immediately sets out to destroy that evil that hurt his people and make it possible for us to walk in love with him. I, um, uh, first of all, every chapter of the book is just excellent. And so thank you so much for all of your diligent work in communicating it so effectively. Um, my guess is that a lot of people are going to arrive, arrive at the chapter on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be illuminated in ways that surprise them. So that's really fun. Um, I also think that there are so many positive correctives in um, in the chapter on the doctrine of the church. I think a lot of us um, have reduced the doctrine of the church down to something manageable and small and, you know, that we, we feel like we can choose, pick and choose between. Um, talk with us a little bit about the doctrine of the church as you unpack it in the chapter on ecclesiology. So the church, as you know, you and I know today, is a really sensitive topic because we see where churches have mishandled the gospel, where they've mishandled finances, where they have abused people, where they have not defended the oppressed or the abused. And that breaks God's heart. That's not his intent for the church. It's supposed to be a, a gathering of imperfect <laughs> um, followers of God who are growing in their sanctification. So they're becoming more like Christ and they're walking in love towards one another. And obviously, because the church is made up of flawed and sinful people, there's no way they're going to do that perfectly. But the intent of God is that they should grow in their forgiveness, they should grow in their righteousness, they should grow um, in defending those who are marginalized and weak. And in studying what the Bible says about the church, ecclesiology, we find out that God never intended faith to be done in isolation. It is intended to be done in community. 
So this idea that I can just follow God on my own, he doesn't care. I can just be out, you know, freewheeling basically and not in accountability, not in community is it's, it flies in the face of what the Bible says and what Jesus said that he loves the church and that he's basically married to the church. That's, the image that we get in scripture. And so if Jesus loves the church and he loves the collective body of believers, we're called to do that same thing. And if it feels unnatural, that's because it is. It takes supernatural strength to love other people when they are so flawed and when they don't perform the way that we wish they would perform. But recognizing that God is the one who gives us the ability to forgive, to set good boundaries, to love one another well, and enables us to stay in that godly community, I think really helps us to set a realistic expectation for the church and how to help it be better going forward. Thank you um, so much. Thank you so much for the conversation today. But thank you so much for the labor that you have invested in bringing this um, book forward um, the book is Every Woman a Theologian. Um, Felicia Masonheimer is the author. We are giving away copies today. Um, if you're saying to yourself, I've always wanted to have a systematic theology, I've always wanted to understand the things of the faith, but I've always been so intimidated and put off by theological tomes. This is not a theological tome, but it is um it is it covers everything that is essential in terms of having an orthodox theology and encouraging us then in being people of orthodox faith or orthopraxy, um, not only knowing what we believe, but living it boldly. If you are looking um, to journey in this way, we'd love uh, to put a copy of this book in your hands. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we have in studio today. Felicia, what a joy. What a joy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to connect you with Felicia via her website in the show notes today. Um, You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today to be in the Word of God I want to encourage you to think about what you're thinking about today and how you're thinking about what you're thinking about. I want you to consider um, what God thinks about the things of your day and what's on the agenda that you see before you. Be sure you leave like space and opportunity for those divine appointments that God has set that you would, you just, you couldn't possibly anticipate in advance. Um, but God has a desire in his heart for the way his spirit is going to be manifested in your life today. And I just want to invite you to be open to that. Invite you to be open to the way God's Holy Spirit wants to move in you and wants to move through you. So let's be cooperating with the active work of the Holy Spirit, seeking to bring us right now into ever greater conformity with the will of God. Like, let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. And let's ask God to use us today to produce the fruit of his spirit in and through our in and through our lives, the things we say, the way we encounter people, what they um, experience of God in their 
interactions with us. Let's be people of, people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, right? There's there's no law. This is this is these are the things God wants to produce in and through us today. So, let's be cooperating with the Holy Spirit that God might produce in and through us a harvest of righteousness that brings him glory. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.